So uh, good evening to everybody and let's chant the refuges and precepts together. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa Buddham Sarnam Gachami Dhammam Sarnam Gachami Sangam Sarnam Gachami Dutyampi Buddham Sarnam Gachami Dutyampi Dhammam Sarnam Gachami Dutyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Dutyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tatyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami Tatyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Panati pata veramani sika padam samadhyami Adina dana veramani sika padam samadhyami Abramacharya veramani sika padam samadhyami Musawada Veramani Sika Padam Samadhyami Sura Maria Majapamadatana Veramani Sika Padam Samadhyami Labojana Veramani Sika Padam Samadhyami Nacha Gita Vadita Vasikadasana Malaganda Vilepana Dharana Mandana Vibhusanatana Veramani Sika Padam Samadhyami Ujasayana Mahasayana Veramani Sika Padam Samadhyami Idame Silam Makapalanyanasa Pachayoho Tu When I uh, come in and I bow to the Buddha and I turn around and I bow to you, I bow to, um, out of respect for you, each of you, for your practice. And um, I also bow kind of to 
to our potential, to your potential for awakening, for healing, for liberation, for all of us. Um, And just want to appreciate particularly just from the conversations I've had with people, the, what, what, you, what you share is so inspiring and um, encouraging to me. To, it speaks of the power of practice. Um, so thank you. I uh, have this feeling of when it's an open month like this and everyone is kind of in their own rhythm and theme and process so I really feel like I'm going to share a particular around a particular topic but hope and trust that you will you know listen in that grounded spacious way so you feel free to not to you know have to pick up on it and just hope that there's some of the dhamma Sometimes when I bow to the Buddha, I, I ask that some Dhamma come through to you, to, to all of us, through the words, through just the being together. That might be so. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to start with a story. Sometimes I, I offer like... Um, just a, a small teaching which to me in some way serves as a kind of summary for the whole talk. So you can hear that and then you can just, you know, tune out or think about something else or, you know, I don't know, plan next year's holiday or whatever. Um, <laughs> and that's the talk to me. And the story is one I tell sometimes, uh, so it touches me very deeply for some reason. Uh, it's a story about the great violinist Itzhak Perlman. And when he was um, uh, getting ready to play uh, the violin part in a violin concerto, so he, um, you know, comes on to the to the stage to go to his place, and um, Itzhak Perlman had. Um, polio when he was young and so for all his life he walked with the aid of uh, um, braces on his legs so it would take him quite a long time to kind of walk you know from the wings to the to the seat Uh, so on this occasion as I remember the story he, he gets to the seat and he's there and he gets the violin and boing you know one of the strings just goes, breaks. And, you know, violins have four strings, I believe. You correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> and so instead of getting up and, 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 and walking off to find another string, he played the concerto with three strings. I, I find this kind of just amazing and beautiful and inspiring. And just for me, what feels relevant for this talk, as you'll see, is a sense of, I don't know about you, but I often feel like I'm playing with three strings. It's not quite everything's there. <laughs> how it can feel. But, you know... Even so, maybe some, you know, something, some, some music can come through, you know. It's, and, and I feel, I don't know, so, so that may not resonate for you, but for me that's part of why, you know, it's so somehow very touching for me. And he said, when he was asked about this event afterwards later, can you imagine the standing ovation he got at the end of that? Um, He said, you know, sometimes it is the artist's task to find out how much music you can still make with what you have left. Right. 
yeah so uh, yeah yeah there it is so I'd like to talk this evening about the teaching which I seem to do here about twice a year so here, here it is coming up again and it's a talk around the teaching of the five topics for frequent recollection taught by the Buddha sometimes called the five daily recollections which are an opportunity for us to to contemplate this great truth of our mortality our mortal fragility um, in a way which is conducive to uh, wisdom and compassion so that's what I'd like to explore a bit um, this evening with you and I uh, quite a few years ago now um, I actually first encountered these teachings here at the Forest Refuge when I first came here on retreat in 2005 um, and they were on the board you know the, the, the yogi notice board with all the permanent notices about fire extinguishers and all the stuff and then it was the five daily recollections as well <laughs> I was like oh and I remember you know so I don't think reading them and then just going um, what what am I supposed to do with that okay well right and it just didn't resonate it didn't go in it felt like it just you know like water off a duck's back kind of thing and for that two weeks I don't think I ever gave it a second thought (laughs) however uh, not long after uh, experienced a very difficult bereavement and I was sort of groping around in the teachings and then came back to this practice and actually it's sort of became, and it still is a kind of exploration and a practice I do and I teach. And that sense of, for me, and, and maybe this is often the true with, teaching, true with teachings, that this is something that my teacher Stephen Batchelor said, that sometimes we need to translate ideas into the language of feeling. And I think that is very true for me, very true for maybe some of us more than others, I don't know. But what is it that enables a teaching to really enter, to really come into the heart, to really resonate, to be alive in us, you know? And so... um, Sometime I, I picked up on these, these teachings and I, I spent a few months, I think it was about three months, you know, not 24-7 or anything, but really thinking about them and reading and practicing with them and, and spending a long time feeling very frustrated and just that sense of banging your head against a wall and, you know, nothing really happening. And the image that came to mind was from uh, an image from uh, a Monty Python film, which you may or may not have seen. But in this particular scene, we have some, you know, quasi-monastic types, some sort of Christian monk types, medieval, walking around in a circle, kind of doing this sort of some sort of medieval monkish chant. And they're walking around, and they go thump, and they they hit their heads with this sort of wooden board thing and then they're walking around they're sort of going thud and then thud so that's a bit what it felt like <laughs> so um, just really trying to see how how does this how can the heart hear this how can this really you know so trying I don't know but one of the turning points was in the bath and I don't know if you ever find that helpful. Um, being in water is often a very helpful thing for me. And I was going through this, and I and I I found these these uh, these words for it. And suddenly it's like a you know a sort of like one of those sort of light bulb moments or something. And but it was like ah, oh, I started to feel it. It started to come in. So I'm going to read you the traditional sort of one form of the traditional teachings, which. Uh, pretty close to the sutta that the, the, the Buddha taught and then the one 
the sort of translation that I came up with. Um, okay, so here they are. If you didn't know them, here they are. The five topics for frequent recollection. I am of the nature to grow old. I am of the nature to get ill. I am of the nature to die. All that is dear to me will change and vanish. I am the owner of my karma. And then what I kind of found. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember this body is aging. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember this body is vulnerable to illness. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember this body will die. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember that loss is part of life. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember to meet this moment with wisdom. So, you know, something about living, living with teachings, living with a particular teaching like this and exploring it for ourselves and maybe finding, as we do in metta practice and the other Brahma Vihara practices, like finding words and phrases and images and beings that kind of, you know, resonate in the heart. And I, I think then there's a sense of, so I just, I just wanted to pick apart a little bit what, why, or what some of the elements in that, and you might find your own, you know, with this or with other teachings where you, you know, how, and you hear, you hear teachers talking about this sometimes, they, you know, that post-retreat teacher talk where they talk about what they discovered on their retreat about this or that practice and ways of, because there's a sense in which, isn't it, it is, on one level it's universal and it's just, what it is, and another level, it's doesn't it have to be somewhat personal? I mean, that's kind of maybe a that doesn't sound very Buddhist, does it? But maybe you know what I mean. It really is that it resonates with our sensibilities and our I don't know our cultural backgrounds or all kinds of different things that maybe mean, and it might be a different language, and it might be more about images or. Yeah, prayers from different traditions. It's like that. That feels very sort of important. So, with this, and I, 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 was, I don't know. Creative mind was a fine line between maybe it's creativity and papancha. But anyway, um, so breathing gently for me, what what that does, and I I think with a t with maybe this is what was part of help me to really engage with this teaching was it's like establishing mindfulness mindfulness of the body particularly sort of first or as a it's like that's your foundation that's like it's happening with the body kind of in the context of embodied awareness right we're not somewhere else we're not up in our head thinking thinking you know, knocking on some abstract mental door that's not really there. Um, so this breathing gently and the gentleness and then this sense of um, softening, relaxing the mind and the body. You know, it's so interesting, like with metta practice, often when when it's taught, at least in our sort of arena, 
it's often the teachers like get comfortable, you know, let the body relax. And I don't want to get into an analysis of that and why and everything, but I think the same is true for this. Again, with my bath revelation, there was something about relaxation of the body. And I, maybe this is true for a lot of our practice, actually. And that, that, that really helps. And that mind-body connection, the body relaxes, mind goes, oh, maybe we don't need to be on hyper-alert. And, and you have that sense of the, the way the body and the mind can kind of kind of speak to each other, you know, influence each other in helpful ways. Obviously, if you if you're more of what I call a laxity type, all my emphasis on relaxation might be like, no, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you may be the other way. Maybe you're more a laxity type. You're like, come on, like, come on, you know, wake up. So I'm not so, that isn't, yeah. So, you know, again, different temperaments. Really important to have a sense of, like, working with your own sensibilities and knowing that, and perhaps at times being flexible. Because I've learned to really value the more sort of direct, you could say rather blunt approach. (laughs) That really, really has its value. Um, Yeah, so then the lovingly remember... You know, this, this, because of course we're talking, there's this recollection, sort of remembering aspect of sati. So we really are in a kind of, we're mindfulness of, what does it mean to be mindful of these facts? That's a very broad, deep kind of uh, ask, isn't it? So that's, you know, this sense of, the lovingly part for me I think again part of the key that kind of opened it up for me was a sense of this is meant out of compassion this is offered out of compassion this is intended to free us from suffering and stress and I'm like oh it's a loving it's a loving caring compassionate offering ah Right, you know, and then somehow that that opens up something. And I I remember another, actually another time at Guy House where um, uh, one of my teachers and colleagues, Catherine McGee, gave a talk about death and um, maybe another sort of side of the sorts of reactivity that can be around was just... You know, I heard her give this beautiful talk and it was all so moving and I was completely overmoved and overwhelmed and spent much of the evening walking up and down outside, weeping and wailing and kind of, I don't know, I, I just think, I think that wasn't what was intended. <laughs> so maybe there's some middle way, you know, between like, yeah, what, so what, um, on the one end and then this other sort of very... I mean, you know, it's what happened. Try not to, to judge it. But coming out of it, I felt like, oh, I, I think maybe that's not quite what's in, you know, what this is about. Although that sort of grieving and emotion, emotional process is also part of it. I'll come back to that a bit later. So um, this, this sense of changing the language from I am to this body was also found, I found helpful. I know you see it in the suttas and maybe it's sometimes helpful to say, you know, you see it there, you know, the bhikkhu is practicing and saying, oh, I am breathing in, I am breathing out. It's like, you know, there's a, there's a value to that. But again, what I found helped me to kind of connect, to, to let the teaching in more, was to say this body, this body, so it kind of takes the I am, because often when I see the I am, I get like, well, what is that, and who is that, and where are they, and which I, and is it, you know, it's like it's... But this body, again, if I'm practicing this from a sort of embodied awareness, grounded in the body, then there's a sense of, you know, I'm, I'm already here with this body, 
and that that's that what I'm experiencing of that moment to moment, right? Moment to moment mindfulness of the body is being felt and known and included as I'm saying, you know, I'm breathing gently, body's breathing. I'm lovingly remembering that this body, this body is aging. It's aging right now, right now. And it's like every time you say that phrase, it's true, (laughs) isn't it? It's like, it's kind of amazing. It's like from when you're born to when you die, you're aging. And so that sense of including it in, it's like a, so then you get the sense of it, at least I do, this is another way of developing mindfulness, right? It's, it's, it's kind of multifunctional, like lots of the Buddha's teachings, you know. You, you have these multiple good effects and qualities that it's strengthening. And the other thing that I've found really lovely about practicing in this way that is that I can look at another person and say exactly the same phrase, this body this body, this body is vulnerable to illness. And, you know, whether it's someone you don't know or you know or you love or you don't love, it's like it's a kind of, almost like with meta practice, you know, for yourself, for your benefactor. I haven't done it like this, but that could kind of maybe work. Anyway, more creativity. Um, the sense of with a stranger on the bus or, you know, the difficult person and this kind of sense of the, un- the universality of it. And this body, all bodies, I remember, I'm remembering this, that this body, like all bodies, and that's something I've been playing with recently, is kind of slightly different phrasing. Resting in awareness for the sake of wisdom and compassion, I remember that like all bodies, this body will die. So it's a, it's, it's a lot of words there, but for me it's like then there's a process. I'm kind of resting in awareness, so I'm kind of setting that context of mindfulness, more resting in embodied awareness, And then I'm connecting with that sense of the purpose of this is is for the sake of wisdom and compassion. So it's like setting the the scene, the, the stage, the purpose, and then remembering. Remembering that loss is part of life. Which is my version of all that is dear to me will change and vanish. And then the last one, which I'm not going to say too much about because Greg is going to be giving a talk on karma next week. So I'm going to like pass the baton on to him with that one. But this, this um, I am the owner of my karma and karma is action. And so I kind of found myself just choosing to take this phrase of meeting this moment with wisdom. And then today, I, no, it was actually yesterday, I came up with this idea. And then today it came up in a conversation with one of you. And I was like, yeah, you know, we're connected. Um, so it was so nice. <laughs> and so for this last phrase, this same resting in awareness, in the service of wisdom and compassion, I remember that I can train my mind. And just kind of like, you know, the, this aspect of, of, of Kamma, which is, you know, right now, the thoughts, the intentions, the words, the actions that are now that 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 can be trained the mind can be trained and um, yeah so many different possibilities with that with that phrase as well and again just finding 
of what resonates, what what kind of... And then you have the, the repetition, don't you? I have a lot of respect for these, some of these practices which we might not, you know, it's different for different people, but just at times, these these practices that use phrases, you know, repeating phrases to help anchor, just as an anchor. And uh, I just, yeah, I have a lot of a lot of respect for them. And I've noticed recently how um, that use of phrases kind of is very calming. It's like. So if the mind is very agitated, it feels particularly helpful. Just the words and then the the sort of the repetition. Um, so interestingly, I think this can be a calming practice. You know, which again, my great mel- melodramatic tendency, which came out after Catherine's talk. It's like, so we can we can sort of be. Um, we can explore and see, you know, if this is in the service of calming as well as wisdom and compassion, like how, how do we approach that? Anyway, so, um, okay. So how, how, how do these teachings become part of our, part of our life, part of what feels helpful and there's a wonderful quotation from Ajahn Lee. He said, Aging, illness and death are treasures for those who understand them. They're noble treasures. Sorry, they're noble truths, noble treasures. If they were people, I'd bow down to their feet every day. And again, you know, this has come up in a one-to-one conversation this, this week of... of a person, you know, really finding it possible to allow to find a way of the the physical ailment really being a a, a, a support to practice, which I think is yeah, such a beautiful, inspiring, inspiring thing. It is possible, um, and I, I'm fortunate enough to hear about it quite often so what is it that what is it that that these these this particular practice but also just uh, other practices maybe around including these uh, these truths in our in our life or working with them when they present ourselves present themselves in our own experience with our own bodies or lives and those close to us Many, many ways. Yeah. So the Buddha, one, one, of, one thing he, he, he says about the power of these, uh, these phrases, these teachings, is that they challenge misperceptions. That's quite common in his teaching, isn't it? It's like his... Tr- his Train in having this perception because it's correcting a misperception. And he, he, in this case, he he says that these teachings help us to challenge or to um, help us to let go of being intoxicated with youth, health, life, the liked and ignoring the consequences of heedlessness. Right? So I think there's a lot of reflection in that, like how much are we intoxicated with, with youth if, if we're young, or even if we're not? <laughs> and what does that mean? What does that, you know? And obviously in parts of cultures that we move through, that, that that's very, that's kind of a... Strongly conditioned thing, you know, or in- intoxication with with health, you know, this this very, again, kind of proliferated kind of thing personally and systemically and so on, where somehow this, you know, 
like as if illness is supposed to not happen and it's not really a proper part of life and so on. And that, that, so that directly kind of challenging that misperception, that misunderstanding, that sort of, I suppose it's a sort of clinging to health, which is really understandable on one level. But yeah, again, this is very, you know, it's like, yeah, being very attached to our health. And then when we get ill, it's even more devastating. So again, the, the, these these practices, I think, are a kind of uh, uh, maybe they can help they can help prepare the mind, you know, align with what's true, so that the events and the occurrences for ourselves and others are not so so shocking, so kind of oh, this shouldn't be happening. They're just aligning, they're aligning us with the truth of things. And another thing I I think is the sense of aligning, aligning with the truth of things. I don't know what your experience has been in life or or with this practice or these themes, is that there's a kind of, there's a kind of time, there are times when we're just really aligned with the truth of how it is with and in this case you know with these themes of loss and aging and death and so on where there's this place where it's really it's okay not because we like it but just because it is how things are you know, and I think that sounds so simple, doesn't it? And so, well, yeah, you know, of course. And well, I had an experience again with, um, when my foster, foster mum was dying and she was the person I'd probably been closest to my whole life. And I was finding her, you know, approach to dying is incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult, not very equanimous at all. Very, and and there was this... One time when I was visiting and she was in the care home and I was staying there and I was sitting in her room, I think, and I, and I I was just sitting and just for a while I got quiet and just, you know, with her lying in the bed and I was just sitting there and there was this few, just I think quite a brief, I don't know, a few moments or minutes or something where I was just listening to the sound of somebody vacuuming down the hall and it was just it was just it was just okay it's just everything was just what it was and I even though I didn't feel like that all the time the fact that that happened it gave me a kind of a kind of reference point um, and you know that sense of this is possible and sort of once you've been there once, you kind of like, oh, that's there or somewhere. I can't find it right now, but I know, I know that's there. And um, let's see, what else? I I don't want to get through this talk without sharing with you the wonderful teachings of Ayakima on this. I don't know if any of you know her teachings. Her teachings are on Dharma Seed. A really just extraordinary uh, extraordinary uh, nun and teacher. And I, I listened to her teachings on the, these uh, five topics for, for frequent reflection and I just want to share maybe a couple of them because this is where like she really invites as you'll hear a kind of inquiry a kind of you know really looking this in the eye in a way that I've uh, I found very helpful if rather uh, blunt so she says I am of the nature to decay I have not got beyond decay. 
And she, she goes on and says, look at that and see whether it's a true statement. And if you think it's a true statement, have you actually noticed it in yourself? And if you have noticed, what kind of reactions have you had? One of dislike, rejection, trying to forget it, trying to counteract it, thinking that it is something that is unpleasant, or have you seen it? as the underlying truth of everything that has life. So, for me, this this is one of the huge gifts of this practice that, that, that I feel is pointed to here and that I've I've kind of really grown to appreciate is that it's so connecting. It's so, it's like this everything, everything, everyone, everything, the trees, the grass, you know, the sense of that you are, you are part of this truth. We are part of this truth. The truth of everything that has life. And then I, I, for me, that there's a kind of sense, almost of a, this is another way that we can we can connect with a sense of belonging, a belonging in life through this deep contemplation of the truth of decay, which is, yeah, aging. How she's translating that. So then she goes on, I, ha- I am of the nature to be diseased. I have not got beyond disease. Again, it's necessary to inquire if this is a true statement. Have we had a disease or unpleasantness in the body, major or minor? Is it with us now? Can we expect it again? If so, what does that tell us? about our presumed ownership of this body. So here, she's inviting this reflection, Shan Anatta, self, non-self. The fact, you know, or we do not, like, who is it who would own, I mean, owning the body, what an idea. I mean, it's a powerful idea. And perhaps it's, it's part of how it, it feels. Other, other, you know, behaviors can embody that idea, can express that idea in devastating ways just on the level of really then this uh, you know we all want to not be sick and that's fine and we take measures to try and be healthy and but it's going to get you in the end (laughs) it's going to get all of us in the end (laughs) I mean this is like Akima, at least my some her trying to channel some of her like you know, <laughs> and and that sense of isn't part of what's so outrageous about that this sort of almost unconscious sort of really, but 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 I I I uh, that I ought to be able to there's surely something I can you know not I mean I don't even think it's even conscious or even in words. But that sense of, you know, this this is something here I should be able to, you know, protect from such things. It's just not true. But again, you know, in the spirit of inquiry, I can't resist. I just, one more. I am of the nature to die. 
I have not got beyond death. Here we don't have to inquire if this is true, but we do need to inquire whether we take it into consideration in daily living, whether we are ready for it, and if not, why not? And so this is a lot of what the Buddha, you know, is pointing to is in so many different ways. With this, this sense of, you know, the fragility of life and that sense of we really don't know, you know, and it's, you know, death is certain, the time of death is uncertain. We really could go any time. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, recently I've been thinking about people I know who are sick and quite seriously sick and, you know, just hearing that and holding that and this sense of how can, how does, how, how, how does that inform our life? And I, I used to hear this um, teaching, since death is certain, the time of death uncertain, what should I do? Maybe that's a helpful question, but today, actually, what came to my mind was, since death is certain, and the time of death is uncertain, relax. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And, you know, the possibility of that, that awareness being a, know, a support to our mindfulness, this moment, this moment, this moment, this moment, so that, that it's like that sense of the beauty of life, the beauty of life, and being able to savor that and enjoy it. Because, yeah, you know the story of the tigers and the strawberry. So a person is hanging over the edge of the cliff, fell over, unfortunately, over the the edge of the cliffs, hanging on this, you know, vine. And uh, the tiger's above, tiger's below, and the vine is gradually pulling out of the rock, you know. It's like, okay, it's... Yep, this is only going one direction. Okay, no, this. And then the person notices a lovely ripe strawberry nearby. So it just reaches over, takes the strawberry, puts it in, in, in their mouth, and just eats it. Ah, delicious. So I thank you for, as always, for your patience and your kind hearing. And, you know, may, may, may we all, each of us, find our way of opening to these, these truths and facts of life in ways that actually help the, the mind to find ease, to find clarity and to open in compassion, you know, for all of life. And um, may, we, may we find freedom here and now. So let's close our time together this evening by chanting the reflections on the sharing of blessings um, with uh, the wish, if you wish, to share whatever benefits, whatever merits 
we might experience in our practice. May that blessing, that happiness, that release be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachings and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, May all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble guide. The Sangha is my supreme support through the supreme power of all these. May darkness and delusion be dispelled. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.